hello, everyone. Welcome to the Stairway to CEO podcast brought to you by Future Commerce. I'm your host, Lee Green, and it's my mission to bring you a real, honest, and unfiltered interview with top business leaders from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 31 of the Stairway to CEO podcast. I'm your host, Lee Green. And today we've got a great show for you, an interview with Sunny Chada, the co-founder and CEO of Venus et Fleur. Founded in 2015 by Sunny and his wife, Seema, Venus et Fleur takes a modern approach to floral design. Inspired by beautiful Parisian hat boxes and featuring eternity roses, which are real roses that last a year, the brand hit $20 million in revenue in its first three years and has grown to over half a million followers on Instagram. In this episode, Sonny shares with us his entrepreneurial journey from growing up in New Jersey and working for his father's electronic company to a disappointing Valentine's Day that sparked the idea for his company. Sunny talks with us about how Instagram posts from the Kardashians affected the business, why he believes in vision boards, and what it's like to run a business with your spouse. Tune in to hear all of this and more. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us an awesome review. We hope you enjoy this episode. Sunny, thanks so much for being on the show today. I'm super excited to hear your story. Um, yeah, thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. So where are you from originally? So originally, uh, born and raised in New Jersey, um, you know, East Coast my whole life up until uh, pretty much two and a half, three years ago, uh, when Vita St. Fleur decided to open a new facility out here in LA. Um, but prior to that, I was just in an East Coast guy, so New Jersey, New York my entire life. Where in New Jersey? Uh, Princeton. So I was born just outside of Princeton. I uh, went to school there um, and then moved over to Manhattan just after call, after high school. Very cool. I'm from Delaware. So East Coast represent living in LA now. Um, so what was childhood like? Childhood was, uh, you know, for, for us, um, was just all around just sort of working with the parents. So uh, my dad's a, uh, an entrepreneur himself, moved over to the States from India and, uh, and founded a business uh, in in the late seventies, and so for him, um, you know, it was it was really just about how uh, there's so much that goes into starting the business. You have to know all aspects of it. So for us, when we were really young, it was funny. Our friends during summer breaks would would try and plan these trips and so on, or summer camps. And for us, it was like you have to jump straight into work and ride into Manhattan every day with 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 our dad. So. Um, but it was really fun. I got to really see what went into, uh, you know, for him, how, how he was really working day to day, what his day looked like for us, you know, during the school year, it was always waking up at the same time as him, he would head out to work and, and he would come back really late at night. So we didn't really understand how his day went until we actually were a part of it in the summer times. And so um, it was really cool for us. My brother and I are both entrepreneurs. And, and it was fascinating. I think that's kind of you know, one of the really big reasons that contributed to to why both of us are, are small business owners today. That's awesome. And so what kind of um, company did your dad run? 
So he had an electronic company. When he came over from, from India, he realized that none of his electronics were working. And so he quickly uh, founded a company where they were uh, taking care of the adapters for traveling, for plug adapters and voltage converters and things like that. Um, and then he, he sort of fell into a, a different part of the business where he realized that friends and family and people that were abroad were always trying to figure out ways to get United States size appliances. So the larger refrigerators or washers and dryers, which weren't available internationally. So he became a distributor for these brands, uh, GE, Sub-Zero, and all these, all these manufacturers to where they would produce international voltages, but on US specs. And he was able to sell them to customers that were either moving abroad or wanted that size. So it was very cool because it was such a different approach than like the traditional electronic companies out there and appliance companies. So it was cool to see how he was able to sort of crack that, uh, that, that consumer, if you will, and figure out how to really reach them. So it was kind of like his way to market to them, but not the way that we market today. And I think that kind of opened up ideas for us too, as, as we got a lot of experience working with him. That's really cool. So is it just you and your brother or do you have other siblings? Uh, it's my brother, myself, and an, an older sister. She's not in the uh, small business world. She's a, she's a doctor. So took a completely different path than us. <laughs> so are you the youngest or in the middle? I'm the middle child. All right. And so these summers with your dad and your brother kind of working with the you know business, what were some of the insights that you had the, during those summers with the company? And what were you doing? And what did you see? What were some of the pros and cons that you saw, I guess, early on about starting a company? Yeah. So, you know, my dad, he... Uh, he would bring us in and and early on, it was more so about just like sort of shadowing him, you know, just seeing how his day went, all the different touch points that he had every day with with people that worked for him, with vendors, with with everything. And so it really just opened up our eyes to how large of an operation a business really is. You know, we always thought, oh, there's a shop that we see photos of and he's standing there and they sell, someone walks in, they buy something and they're out, you know? And, right. and then once we were working with him, we really understood how everything works in a business. Um, and so early on, it was it was a lot of the shadowing. And as we matured with them, uh, there was more so uh, a, a, a focus. Um, for me, it was on the operations side. So it was a lot of vendor management, understanding how to plan for certain purchases, when product would come in, um, and cash management as well. You know, you don't want too much inventory and not be able to move it to anybody. Um, and with electronics, as everyone knows, it's such a fast moving industry where, you know, a technology for a TV today is this brand new thing. And in six months, it's old. So there was a lot of management of, of inventory that I was involved in early on. Um, my brother was more so on the technical side. So we had a, a division of the business where we did installations. Um, and so he did a lot of planning around relationship building with businesses that would sort of, we would contract and they would end up doing installations for us for consumers and stuff. Um, and I think for him, that's why he's such so into the business development side of even DSA Fleur is because he kind of was was injected into that early on and he found himself being so good at it so that's awesome so that sounds like a fun family thing to do in the summer but um what else happened in childhood did you play sports or were you really just kind of were you working on your lemonade stand you know at age five or what yeah you know uh so we were we, we, myself, I was in base, I played baseball, um, my brother, not so much, um, you know, and, and, uh, and so it was just a lot of like the, the normal after school hang with friends, uh, you know, neighborhood hockey on the street and, uh, playing, playing manhunt at night. Um, so for us, it was just a lot of that. I think what was funny is since my dad was in the electronics world, we, we always had access to video games first. So we were always that house that, 
everyone would come over to during snowstorms and we'd have a few different rooms in the house and there's TVs and an Xbox and we would just play all night long. And so, uh, with friends that we even talk about back in those days, like, you know, how funny it was as kids to just sort of find out that, Hey, school closed for a couple of days. We would all hang out together and, mm-hmm. and you know, it was so fun. So, um, you know, childhood memories are, were amazing. Um, we traveled a lot, so we would we'd visit family in, in India. My mom's Indian, but she's third generation in Hong Kong. So, um, it was really cool to, to travel out to Hong Kong and just see sort of the culture difference and so on. Um, but yeah, it was just, you know, childhood was a lot about, um, sort of taking it all in, in, in the neighborhood with, with friends during the year, and then a little bit of travel plus work during the summers. And what was one of the hardest things for you growing up? Um, you know, I think, uh, so my parents, uh, ended up realizing that, that they wanted to sort of separate from each other. And so for us, it was like, it was, it was weird because we weren't used to that, but at the same time, I think it kind of developed us to, to really understanding how, how, you know, things change through life, but we were able to still maintain such great relationships with our parents, um, and, and just really see the qualities, you know, for my mom. Uh, she was home with us all the time. And when, when my parents were together and then after, you know, kind of found out how this entrepreneurial side of her kicked in, she loves cooking. So she would start doing meal preps or catering events and things like that. So it was really cool just to see how life changes at times and how people can adapt to how those changes go. So, uh, you know, that was, that was something that I think, uh, really, really taught us a lot about just sort of responsibilities. Also, my brother is younger than I am. Um, and so, you know, he, I had to, I had to sort of take him under my wing in the sense of like, you know, obviously there's, there's side effects to, to ships and family and stuff like that. And, and so for him, it was a lot of just like taking him in, making sure he's good and so on. But, um, you know, through life, you, you go through things like that and it really just, as long as you look at it to sort of bring out the positive, it's always going to teach you something good. There's always going to be something that you take out of it to develop. So. That's an excellent perspective to have. And you're right. Um, yeah, I believe the same thing. So that's awesome. You took your brother under your wing and, um, you know, you saw your mom transition, which is pretty cool. Um, so when you were in high school, going off to college, where'd you go to school and what was college like? Yeah. So, uh, you know, working with, with my dad sort of towards like the end of high school, it started to become this, uh, you know, Hey, you want a car? I'll get you a car, but just know that after school you're driving up to Manhattan and you're working for a couple hours. So, um, even though it wasn't summer break, there was a lot of work, uh, during the weekdays in Manhattan. So, you know, I just fell in love with business. And so when, when college started to come around, uh, I went to community college, uh, just outside of, outside of West Windsor, New Jersey. Um, I was there for about a semester. Um, and, and I just realized, I was like, you know what, like, I just have such a passion for business. I really like what I'm doing now. I'm learning so much. And I was like, you know, let me let me step aside from school for just a little bit and kind of develop in a in sort of the business world and just see what that's about, you know, being in school my entire life, obviously, it was just different for me just to just to be able to sort of do that. Um, I also wanted to sort of live on my own and, and not be not be under my dad's full-time supervision, if you will, in the sense of, you know, I want to, I want to see what is it like working and having to, uh, responsibly manage your finances and, and, and everything. And so for me, it was a, uh, it was a step that I wanted to take at the time. And I think even looking back at it now, I'm very glad that I did. That's awesome. So were you working for your dad during that time or did you work for someone else? It sounds like you went for someone else. 
yeah, no, I was, I was working for my dad, but it was, it was far more f- uh, formal at this time. So mm. it was a, a strict paycheck. It was, uh, you know, if things weren't happening, there was repercussions to it. Um, there wasn't any more of, Hey dad, let me get your credit card. I'm going to go fill up gas. It was, it was really all just, I was, I was treated like an employee. I was, I, I really had to grow in that understanding of what it is like to, to really have, have a boss over you instead of sort of having a father and mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was a cool transition, but you know, as, as I'm sure people out there have heard family business stories before, there's a lot of challenges too. You know, you're, you're 17, 18 years old. You're trying to understand why your dad has gone from this, this nice guy that if you ask in the right ways, you can get what you want. Um, <laughs> to the person who's just very strict and stern on you and, um, maintaining a work and personal relationship is very difficult at that age. Right. Um, but it teaches you a lot. And I think like, even now, when I look back at it and I, I laugh and joke with my dad about it sometimes, he's like, you know how tough you were when you were 17, 18, you would always complain and, and get angry when I would tell you to do certain things. He's like, but look at, look at now, look at how you develop with all those things. You know, you would it, it really molds you into who you are. And so I laugh at it now, but you know, back then looking at it, I used to just get so frustrated and I'd be like, man, why can't you were nice a couple months ago? What's going on now? So, right. You're like I lost all my power. What happened? I know. I know. And then my brother is sitting there. Who's like, if he still angles it in the right way and ask, he gets what he wants. And I'm like, Whoa, what's going on, man? Like, and, and I kind of have to go to my brother and be like, yeah, dude, like ask dad for something so I can get it. But you know, let me get it on right. the, that like the works, so. through the brother. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, so interesting. Challenges working with family. That's um definitely a topic we'll have to hit on in a in a little bit. But um so how long did you did you do that? And then where'd you go from there? Yeah, so I was I was with my dad for a few years, probably about three, four years. Um, and you know, while all my friends were in college, uh, I would visit them and and uh, you know, towards like the middle to end of of everyone's time at college, uh study abroad became a thing, right? Uh, and so my dad, who specialized in international plug adapters and things like that, uh, you know, I kind of thought about it and I'm like, hey, look, let me try and, and figure out a different angle here. My dad's partnering with HR at, at these at these companies, um, you know, moving companies and so on for his business. Let me try and talk to some of the schools out there that my friends go to school at and, and just try and angle it as, hey, you have these study abroad programs and the kids are traveling abroad. Their parents probably aren't thinking about the plug adapter needs and so that their cell phones and their laptops are working. They also don't want them to plug in a hairdryer into a socket and have it burn out. So let me educate them a little. So I put together, I went onto Fiverr, I put together a, a quick like flyer on sort of what the, 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 the approach was, sort of what our, what the benefits of, of utilizing our company was. And I, I, I sent it off to a couple of universities and they, they bid at it. So that's kind of when I knew like there was something there. Uh, and I was able to, I was able to partner with a few universities out there who recommended our company to the study abroad programs, uh, the students along with their parents as well, when they would have sort of the information packet that would go out. So it was, it was really cool, uh, being able to sort of start something different than my dad branch out, if you will, and, and kind of be like, Hey, I, I own that. I was able to do something different. So, uh, it was cool. I was with him for, for about three, four years. Um, and then, my brother had an opportunity in uh, Manhattan with a friend that he had met to open a restaurant and nightclub in the summer of 2013. Um, so it was just going to be a pop-up. Uh, you know, we 
we at the time were, were very scrappy and, and really we're just trying to figure out what we can do. Originally, the thought was going to some kind of like beer garden style, uh, you know, outdoor thing. And, and quickly we turned it into um, a, a very popular outdoor uh, brunch spot and, and nightclub. So it was it was really cool because we had no experience in the nightlife space. We had no experience managing uh, that many people, but uh, but we were able to quickly just sort of learn, work with the right people, really be hands on, be very scrappy, um, and we funded everything ourselves. Just being just being super, uh, we we built like this barter system, which is funny. So we had like palm trees in Manhattan, which no one else had, and so we called some a farm down in in Florida, and we're like, hey guys, like we need these palm trees, but we don't have money for it. But if you come up to New York, you can have dinner and drinks at our place whenever you want. And one of the farms out there was like, okay, cool, let's do it. And so we ended up bringing palm trees up and, and building out planters with friends and stuff. So it was, it was very cool. We were able to, to do something uh, very, very foreign to us. Um, but it you know, kind of taught us that as long as we, we work hard at it, we, we have the right team, the right support, the right hard workers, we can do it. So it was a fun little thing for about three years. Um, no, sorry, three, three months over a summer. What was it called? Uh, it was called Mako, uh, Mako, New York. So it was okay. a, an outdoor little pop-up. It, it was a fun time. We, Where we was it located to... in New York? Uh, it was adjacent to the uh, Midtown Ferry Terminal. So it was on 39th and 12th. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so it was, it was a good time for sure. Um, after that, uh, one of our friends that my brother and I were living with, uh, he he was starting up a uh, small business commercial lending uh, uh, business. And so really what it was is is working with people that needed to uh, finance commercial equipment, like tractors, trailers, um, start some people that were looking to fund a hotel or, or a uh, restaurant. Um, and so I started working on that with him and, and really developing the company and, and again, taught us something so different because I had never worked on something like that before. It was, it was very new to me, but we were just getting very, uh, we, were, we were diving very deep into sort of what it takes to build a business like that, who are the people you can partner with um, and so on. And so we were able to build that and, uh, and probably about five months later is when I met my uh, now wife um, and co-founder of Venus A. Fleur and, and sort of our journey started. Hey guys, I want to tell you a little bit about a new report we're launching here at Future Commerce in partnership with Gladly called The New DIY. It's all about the new trend that has emerged around the passion economy and modern consumption, which begins with peer inspiration, continues with product education, and culminates into participation or an online purchase. The report covers how these trends start on social media, the importance of great customer experience across all brands, regardless of industry, and the implications this trend has on retailers. You can get the full report today over at futurecommerce.fm slash the new DIY. That's futurecommerce.fm slash the new DIY. So what was the name of that um, commercial equipment financing company that you're referring to? Yeah, it was called Alpha Finance. Alpha Finance. All right. And so did you leave after five months or? Yeah, it was, uh, it wasn't really, a, I left after five months. I was, I told my buddy, I was like, Hey man, like you got this crazy idea, but I think we're going to go with it. And and it was the concept for being a safe learn. And he was like, all right, man, like do, do what you got to do. And and so I, I still very much was, was helping him with it and really built out people that were able to come in and sort of transition over to the workload that I had. Um, so that there was no lag in that business and it continued to move forward. 
Um, but he's, he's one of my best friends. And so, you know, we, we, we speak every single day. So there's never really a lag in, in any of the business operations. It was just this like little stretch away of every single day you're with your friends and you're in this business. And now it's like, okay, I step away and I'm focusing on this other business now. And so you don't see them every day, but, um, it was, it was so much fun. So how did you come up with the concept and idea for your company? So for Venus Apler, um, I, I met my wife, Seema, um, in December of 2014. Uh, so we started dating just after. Um, and so Valentine's Day came around. And, uh, you know, we were in two different cities. I had gone online, done a lot of research for floral delivery, um, spoken to the person there, really told them what I wanted. And on Valentine's Day, she ended up getting a delivery late in the day. Um, so she wasn't quite sure if I was even going to send anything. Uh, <laughs> and so I, you know, she got the delivery, but it just wasn't what we, what I had purchased. It was very, very different than what I had purchased. It was, you know, I wanted this grand bouquet with a bunch of roses to be very abundant. And there, here comes a delivery of roses that were sort of bent over and already wilting. And she appreciated the gesture, but I was like, I was like, Hey, like we were so early in like our, our, like, you know, it, I don't even think we were really like dating, dating at that time. It was more so just like we were, we were talking and, and just so like into each other. And I was like, hey, look, like I really spent a lot of time, like an effort into planning this delivery. Like I can show you the message. I'm not like this cheap guy that just like went online and just hit buy and that's it and left it alone. And <laughs> she really, she appreciated, she was laughing and, and we started talking about it. So um, what's really cool is, is she has a very similar story to me where she started working with her family and their family business really early on. Um, and so with her, her strength and, and sort of at the time of working with her family was in the design and packaging side of their business. Um, so we started talking about Venus and, and, uh, and at that time it wasn't even Venus A. Fleur. It was just sort of this bad delivery. So many people must be facing the exact same thing during Valentine's day, but then there's other holidays, there's mother's day and birthdays and anniversaries and so on. So we began conceptualizing sort of what, what would be Venus A. Fleur. Um, and so. Uh, it was it was amazing because we started talking about it after Valentine's Day, so literally February fifteenth. Um, and by middle to end of March, we had already had samples that were rolling in of of sort of prototypes of the look and style of this box. That's awesome. So a disappointing kind of Valentine's Day turns into a pretty awesome business idea. <laughs> yeah, it was. You know, we we recognized it. We were just like, hey, there's there's such a, a void in this space because a lot of our research led to like, what you're seeing is not what you're getting. You know, people are, are going online and looking at these floral sites that are, are promising this beautiful, abundant delivery, but then what you end up getting is so different. And so it just takes away from the experience. And it's not, it may not be so much of, of the look, but instead of the message, you know, um, the person that's purchasing it for you, what were they conveying? You know, what, they wanted you to receive something abundant and something that they had curated. And why wasn't that delivered? So that's really what took us to uh, really conceptualizing and starting this brand. And so, how did you come up with the name? So, Seema uh, has always been very attracted to uh, the goddess Venus. Um, she has the birth of Venus painting uh, above her bed ever since she was a kid. Um, you know, Venus is uh, all about beauty, romance, the fire things in life. And so, uh, I do not take credit in the name. <laughs> that was all her creative brain. Uh, and so she came up with the, with the name Venus A. Fleur. So uh, sort of Venus and roses or the love of roses, the love of, of florals, if you will. And so um, I love the name. It sounded amazing to me. Um, you know, but little do, little do I know about the branding side of things. She was really on it. 
And I'm just like, okay, cool. We got the name. Let's, let's start running faster with this. Now let's get this on boxes. Let's get, let's get sort of the entire supply chain locked in. So it was, it was very fun. So were, did you ever have like any hesitation? Like, is it really what I should do? Get into business with this girl that I just met? Or did you get married and then start the business? Or like, how did you navigate that? Yeah, it was it was so crazy because friends and family were just like, dude, you are crazy. And and on her side, it's funny because they were like, you are crazy. Like, you know, we weren't even in in the same country. She was she's from Canada. I'm from the I'm from New York. So, you know, completely different areas. But it just felt like really it just felt real and it felt like the right thing to do. And, you know, we had only been we met for a short time, met in December by middle of February, we're talking about a business idea. We're getting samples by end of March. Like, you know, she, she ended up moving out here in, in June. So everything just moved so quick, but it just all felt so right. We're so similar. We have the same, same views. We have the same like in, in style and, and, and everything. It just really clicked. And so, you know, the business side of it, like we were both just so driven. It was such a new relationship for both personal and, and business. We were just like trying to continue to keep that spark running. And we were just like, Hey, well, what about this side of the business? Or, you know, if something came up where she had an idea and I would support it, it's just like that smile. That's like, Oh wow. I got someone supporting this vision. Like let's just keep running with it. And if it wasn't the right thing, well, then you find out together and you work together on, on fixing whatever that problem was. So it was just, it was great. It was, it was crazy times for sure. Um, but it was, I wouldn't have done it any other way. And I, I'm so thankful that that's the way that everything turned out for us. It's so interesting. You say that work together on fixing it and getting through the problem, working through the problems together. I think that's really interesting because I think a lot of people will be like, yeah, what do I do if shit hits the fan? And now I've got this girl that I'm in business with now. And I got to like break up, do I break up or break up the business? Like it becomes very complicated, you know, but it sounds like you guys both had the right attitude in getting into this where you're like, we're going to just make this work. Yeah, no, we were both just on board like the whole way. And, and, you know, for us, it was just a lot of like, it felt right. We, we didn't want to, uh, we didn't want too many like external thoughts to, to sort of like, uh, impact our decisions today. We were just like, Hey, look, like this feels good. Let's keep running. Let's stay positive. So, you know, there wasn't thoughts of like, what happens if this breaks up, you know, every, every now and then like friends would be like, Hey man, like you guys are in a new relationship. Like what happens though, if you guys break up, like, right. I'm like, we're not, we're not thinking of that. If that, if that ever happens, we, we talk about it then, but right now, like um, we're both just running fast and, and this feels right. So we're going to do it. Good for you. That's awesome to hear. And I like that you, uh, maybe it sounds like you avoided external thoughts from other people quite a bit. Like maybe you kept it under wraps until it was at a certain point. Is that accurate? Yeah, for sure. So we weren't really telling uh, too many people about the idea. Um, you know, I, I love getting opinions from people that are close uh, to me, but also, the more opinions, the more complicated your decision becomes. So it was a lot of like, hey, the two of us are going to keep bouncing ideas off each other. Uh, my brother has always been my best friend, you know, just going through like thoughts and ideas with him too. Like, hey, what are your thoughts with this and that? Um, you know, with with uh, one of my best friends, Ruchit, who I started the, uh, the other company with, uh, with, with Alpha Finance with, um, asking him ideas and stuff. You know, his, his dad has been uh, a great advisor and mentor to us too. So asking him ideas and, and thoughts. So really just kept it limited on, uh, on, on who we were sort of telling the idea about uh, and then disclosed it sort of just as summer was starting up and just telling people like, Hey guys, like, can you do me a favor and like this business, a new venture idea for us. And, and people were just like, 
okay, I like the page, but like, are you crazy? Like, <laughs> you guys just started this business together and you just started dating. So you're you like, know, that's it, exactly why I didn't tell you earlier. <laughs> you know, I actually really believe that million dollar ideas are probably destroyed every day by people's other people's opinions. And that yeah. if founders could keep, you know, or aspiring entrepreneurs could keep a lot of their, you know, kind of secrets to themselves or the ideas that they have a little bit closer to the chest, then they might be able to take it a little bit farther. Um, no one wants to have their baby judged before it's born. Right. So no, hundred percent. Totally yeah. agree with you. I think not getting too much, uh, sort of, cloudiness in in your thoughts and and just like still staying true to what you're thinking and what your gut tells you you know that's that's one of the beautiful things about about business is like if it feels right uh then do it you know you you're the one that's going to be doing all the work so make sure you just sign off on it yourself and then just hit the ground running as fast as you can so i feel like you guys probably got married as fast as you started a business together is that true <laughs> so uh you know we we ended up getting married in 2018. Um, and so we, uh, it was, it was crazy. We had, we had our ceremony and everything, uh, just around December. So it was Christmas time. Um, we ended up going into new year's and then we came back to New Jersey. Uh, we got married in, uh, in, in Miami. And so we ended up coming back to New Jersey and really just jumping straight into Valentine's day prep. So it was it was crazy times for sure, uh, but it was amazing just being able to sort of celebrate with friends and everything, and then just jump right into our our holiday season. That's awesome. So you know, starting a business is pretty tough. What were some of the first things you had to do? And I know you didn't take any investor money at all. You've you've bootstrapped this yourself. So how did you guys financially kind of get things running early on and? You know, I think that's one of the biggest hurdles for a lot of founders is yeah, like, oh, I need money. Hey, investors, where are you? <laughs> you know, instead yeah. of realizing maybe I need to spend my own money on this. Yeah, for sure. You know, for us, it was just fully self-funded from us. We were putting together sort of everything we had. Um, you know, we had an apartment in Manhattan that we were working out of. Um, we we asked my dad uh, if we can use some of his warehouse storage for product. Um, so we were we were really scrambling. Um, you know, and and sort of. As, as we started the business, we also wanted to really learn everything about it, right? I, I didn't want to hire, the both of us didn't want to hire people too quickly, right? Because one, we want to try and save as much of, ca of the cash as we could to continue injecting into the business. But two, I wanted to learn from everything. So, uh, you know, the cool thing was that early on, SEMA uh, would actually put together all of the arrangements. So we'd go into the floral market together. Um, we, would, we would purchase all the, the florals. We'd come back to the apartment. We'd set it all up. While she's setting it up, I'm inside of uh, Google Maps just trying to plan our deliveries. Um, we ended up purchasing a uh, hybrid car just so I can do all the deliveries. So I would actually go down and, and start my, my journey every day to doing deliveries all the way down to Baltimore and then coming back up through Pennsylvania to, to Philadelphia, through New Jersey, and then up through New York, all five boroughs of wherever the deliveries were, and then up into Connecticut. So I would start my delivery route around like 7, 7.30 in the morning. And I'd probably finish and get back around 8 p.m. Um, but along the way, I would, you know, I, I would tell Seema, I'd say, hey, look, just call. These are the cities I'm driving through. Can you Google the top 10 luxury florals, uh, floral um, shops that were there? And, and I'm just going to cold call them and try to pitch them this idea. Because early on, we didn't have the attorney roses. It was traditional long stem roses that had water pick tubes that were attached to the bottom. And so after a couple of days, the roses would die. And that was that was the product of the time. Um, and so 
my, my whole thought was, hey, if I can try and get sort of a network of people that I believe can produce up to our standards, we can partner with them, provide them with the raw materials, and then they would just have to get the florals and put it together. So it's funny because I would drive down to, to Philadelphia or, or, or Baltimore and on my way, I would call these shops like, hey, my name is Sunny. I have a company called Venus A. Fleur. Um, you know, there, there, there are florals that are boxed into arrangements and delivered. Um, I'd love to send you more information on it. I think you'd love it and, and would love to do some kind of revenue share with you. And before I can even get that far, it was usually just like, click, they don't want to even hear it. Uh, really? Why times, is that? Why do you think that was? You know, I think people just didn't understand. They, were, they didn't understand why I was calling. Um, the business was it, was, it was so young. So there wasn't any PR or social media around it that I can really sort of say, hey, take a look at this. It was really just a new concept at the time that was starting to, to transition to reality. And so, uh, you know, I, I think when I would call a couple of them, they were just sort of just like, oh, no, I don't want to hear this or whatever and just hang up. Some of the other people that would actually answer, I would talk to were like, yeah, let me talk to my boss about this idea or whatever. I was luckily able to, to meet with a few people and, and actually start to branch out on the, on the idea of having the fresh floors fulfilled in different cities. Um, but Earl, after a little, a little bit of time, you realize that the control aspects are to be taken away. It's very hard for you to be able to control the quality if you're not actually running day to day. What happened from there? So you are doing deliveries yourself, like for a while, you probably got to the point, at what point did you realize it was working? Like, when did you say, you know, okay, throwing in the towel is no longer an option. This is actually really working. Look at this. Was that, what was your kind of like measurement of success? Yeah. You know, for us, um, we really started to go hard with the, the social media marketing. Um, and so Sibo, who, who really understands social media, um, she would just start to, to put posts up, utilize hashtags, utilize locations, um, you know, send, send uh, direct messages to influencers out there just saying that we love their style and their page. We'd love to partner with them if possible and send them some product. Um, and so, you know, early on had people that, that loved the look and style of it and were, were willing to, to accept the delivery in exchange for a post or whatever it was. Um, and so that really just started to get the, the ball rolling for us. There was a lot of awareness. There was people that were like, hey, I, I love what this influencer is doing and, and would love to support sort of what they, what they enjoy um, posting and so on. So that started to work really well for us. Um, and then as we just continue to utilize that as we grew. Um, you know, we ended up uh, speaking to a couple people out in L.A. We were getting the influencers working out here. Um, and then after a little bit of time, we were able to, to, uh, sort of get in front of the Kardashians. And for us, that was, that was something that, you know, it was, it, it was a goal, right? They were, they were setting trends and, and there were, there were people, they were the people that everyone was looking up to for the new style, the new fashion, new products and so on. Um, and for us, you know, we were able to, to fortunately have them post on their Instagrams and, uh, and even though it wasn't like a tag for the brand, it was visible. And so people were searching and it was funny because I would, I would be on our Shopify just looking at Shopify and Google analytics of real time business. I'm like, Oh my God, there's a hundred people on the site. Oh my God, there's 500 people on the site. Oh my God, there's 3000 people on the site. And I'm just like, the phone starts ringing at that time. We only had a cell phone and that was, we were one line, we were taking calls on it and it was just like, it was ringing. And I was just like, I would answer the phone. And then a second later, you hear, you hear a beep and it'd be another call coming in and I'd put it on hold. And then I would uh, you'd hear another beep. And unfortunately, back in the day when that would happen, it would drop the first person that called because you can only have two people on hold. So it was just like, oh my God, like, what do we do? And, and, and it was crazy. But, uh, you know, we really utilized social media to, to really grow the business. Um, we, 
we were fortunate enough, enough to have a lot of supporters of the brand, um, celebrities, but also um, people that were really open to trying the concept and seeing the style and so on. Um, so we continue to grow the business um, just prior to uh, the celebrities like the Kardashians and so on posting the brand. Um, you know, we I, it was really important to me to try and see how can I try and prolong the 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 days that these floors would last, right? Because they were traditional long stem roses. So we ended up flying out to Ecuador. Um, we we scraped up enough money to fly out. Sima and I we met with our farm that we were already importing roses with, and they were working on their approach to preserve roses. Um, and so you know they presented the idea to us. We were looking at the product, and together we were able to. Um, perfect what is now the eternity rose. Um, and so they're real roses that last for a year or longer. Um, they're cut at their most peak and perfect state. They undergo a, a proprietary process where the roses get dehydrated and, and, and a wax-based formula is applied to them. But they also go through a dyeing process where there's color absorbed to the rose. So every single um, arrangement, let's just say you had a bouquet of red roses, they would all look almost identical. Um, but at the end of the day, they are real roses. And so um, you know, we, we were able to also have some of their scent that was still present, um, some more than others. And so uh, we were able to take that. And when we came home, it was like this feeling of like, this is going to be different. This is going to be new. And this is going to be something that is going to be big. And so immediately, you know, I started, I started really working with SEMA and, and uh, the logistics side of the team where it was like, okay, let's figure out how to package this product perfectly. We can't box up in a, tr in a regular shipping box, these florals that were connected to water tubes, because when they end up getting dropped upside down at UPS or whatever, or um, there's a delay in delivery, the roses are just going to die, right? And then they end up, the, the the look when the customer opens up the box is just so bad, right? And, right. and it brings us back to that first experience. It's all about the experience. Mm -hmm. um, and so the moment that we were able to inject our eternity roses into the product, um, where the look and the style and everything was identical to what we call our signature look. Um, that is really what allowed our growth to sort of rocket. We were able to um, perfect our packaging and our uh, and our relationships with vendors like UPS at the time were so strong, where we were really keeping an eye on that that transportation based, you know, the the, the time in transit, um, anything for customs, like making sure it was expedited so there was no delay and so on. Um, and that's what really allowed us to to grow the company very quickly and be able to ship product globally to everybody. That's super interesting. And so when did you have this, um, these Eternity Roses kind of completed and ready to go? Because you started the company in what, 2014? Yeah, so it was in uh, early 2015 um, is when we started the company. Um, we, we met with the farm who had already pretty much finalized uh, the rose, but with a few tweaks to it that, that we met with them on. Um, we had product available to us in November of 2015. And so we went to market immediately. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. So that was pretty quickly. So you guys kind of knew, I mean, where did the idea come from that, you know, instead of just having regular flowers, hmm, wouldn't it be great to have, you know, flowers that lasted a lot, lot longer? I mean, what was really that mind shift from let's be, you know, just a better floral company versus an entirely different kind of innovative brand? Yeah, you know, I I hate being um, sort of stuck geographically. I really want to grow. I, I love to I love to be able to 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 grow a brand to where it's there is no restriction. And so for us, the biggest restriction was we, we couldn't ship the florals to consumers. So um, quickly, I built our shop by site early on, and there was no restrictions that I was able to build in on 
if someone was buying with a zip code outside of our call it handle of relocation um, to not allow them to purchase or or whatever it was. And so there's people that were purchasing in Ohio and Oklahoma and Texas and all around the world. And I, I would have to jump on the phone and be like, hey, unfortunately, we can't, we don't service those areas just yet. And I was canceling orders, which just sucked because I was like, there's people that want the product, you know, they, they want this. So we, we were just really every single day, it was such a strong focus of mine to be able to perfect the shipping process. Um, but once we were able to inject the, the, the perfect version, uh, being our attorney rose into the florals, it allowed them to be, they don't require water, they don't require any maintenance. And so the florals were literally just perfectly put together by our design team in house and able to be shipped to customers perfectly. Um, and so that lifted that restriction on, on geography for me. And I was able to continue to, to try and grow as fast as we could. So that was a, a big thing. We, we offered our signature, which were the traditional long stem fresh roses, along with our attorney roses uh, to consumers. So there was two versions available to us on our site. But what we ended up finding out around Christmas time was as the sales were picking up and you know, we were starting to sell out a product and we put it up on our social media, like, Hey, we're selling out and, uh, and buy quickly. People were going on and just buying, you know, some of the product that may have been sort of cheaper, the, the, the entry point products, which were the signature roses, but they, they weren't, there wasn't enough education to say that signature florals are the long stem fresh roses and eternity florals, are the ones that last a year. Uh, they just kind of had this idea from influencers and, and celebrities and PR of like, oh, Venus A. Fleur is the company that has the, the rose that lasts forever, if you will. Yes. And, yeah. and so that was a big challenge for us was that was, you know, our identity. Um, and so someone that's, that's really close to us and, and, and advises to us was like, hey, guys, like, you know, you have something that's very great here. It's very different. If you offer both, it's going to continue to confuse people. And, and so on. there's a lot of management, right? You don't have the, the funds to invest into your tech to be able to, to sort of educate customers on, on what they can and cannot get. So at that time for us, it was like, all right, let's make this decision and let's rip this product out of here. And nice. we're only going to be offering the attorney rose. And it was, it was so risky for us, but we were like, you know what, let's do it. It feels right. Let's, let's just do it. And so um, that's what ended up happening. And, and we just continue to invest all of our time and energy into the growth of, of Venus A. Fleur offering eternity roses to the world. So that's awesome. The product is so beautiful. The branding is beautiful. I'm just wondering how the hell do these flowers live for a year without water? <laughs> so like, really? Yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're all freshly grown. It's, it's amazing because they actually are grown as red roses originally. Um, they undergo a treatment where uh, they absorb uh, a dye uh, that's non-toxic to, to change the color to whatever we want. So we have a wide variety of colors available. Um, and, and we do have the ability of sort of creating custom colors as well, which we've done a little bit of, which is, which is really cool. Because um, if a brand has a particular colorway, we have the ability of matching it, right? So it's awesome. pretty cool. Um, but yeah, the, the roses undergo a treatment which doesn't require them to have any water um, they're just, there's no maintenance. You just have to keep it in a room temperature environment, avoid high humidities, if you will. And the product will last for a year or longer. Even That's incredible. Um, yeah, like I said, it's really beautiful. You have 445,000 followers on Instagram. I mean, so, well, first off, let's go back to the Kim Kardashian thing. Cause I'm really curious. You, you went from like hundreds of visitors on the website to thousands. And I'm wondering how much converted, like, can you put a revenue number to that one post from the Kardashian? I'm assuming it's Kim. 
Uh, so it was actually, it was crazy because it was Chloe, it was Courtney, uh, it was Chris, and then Tim posted to a story. So oh my gosh. Uh, they all posted, yeah, they all posted the same day. I wish I could share revenue and I would love to, but there wasn't revenue generated from it which was the worst part. So what? they posted on Valentine's Day when we had already sold out a product. Stop. And, so and you so didn't even for, have any product to sell when that happened? nothing to sell. And so we were just like, we were going crazy because it was so early, right? So it was, it was 2016. We were still so young. We hadn't, we hadn't developed a, a robust supply chain team. We, we didn't have the warehouse. I think I would have cried. I think I would have cried. Like, to be honest, I'd be so upset. I would be like, oh my God, the one day we get all of this traffic and yeah. we could have scored big and we couldn't even get a chance. I mean, that's yeah, like, it was, it was crazy because it was Valentine's day. We had a, we had a small store in Manhattan that we had a few product available and people were lining up. We were on a third story where it was stairs only, no elevators, people that were all the way down the stairs and just asking for any product. So we were dealing with face-to-face retail, which we didn't really have. It was an office, but people had gotten the office address and just shown up and been like, do you have anything? Oh my God. It was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. And so, um, you know, there was, there was that happening. There was customer service that we were on top of. So people asking when their delivery would happen, right? We didn't have all these, these tracking softwares as we do today to bring clarity to what stage in the process uh, is the order. And so there was so much that we were handling. My brother was out on deliveries. Um, Seam and I were in our office and we were just going through so much stuff, just dealing with it all. And the the Kardashians posted. And when they posted, uh, my brother's girlfriend at the time was like, oh my God. And she screamed. And, and we were like, what happened? And she was like, Courtney just posted and we were like, no way. And we all got goosebumps and we like ran over, looked at the Insta and saw it. And I was like, oh my God, Seema's crying. I'm laughing. Like, this is crazy. And then the phones just start blowing up. I'm like, all right, guys, let's take this moment in later on. But for right now, we got to focus and deal with it. And Mm -hmm. so Instagram is getting hit with so many direct messages about place order placement or or availability. I'm on the, the phone calls. I'm still dealing with customer service. Like, there was so much to deal with, but it was it was such an amazing, amazing memory. Um, yeah. And and yes, it sucked that we couldn't convert, uh, you know, with, with the potential sales of the day. Um, but I think what we did was we we were able to sort of put on our thinking caps of like, hey, if we don't have product now, what can we do? And so we kind of created a hype, if you will, where we where customers called and they asked about the product. We said, unfortunately, they were too late to be able to place an order, and we've already sold out. But and I literally was on the website creating a newsletter page. And I was like, but what you can do is go to venusafeflor.com forward slash newsletter. You can sign up and that's where we release all the information on when product can be ordered again. And I would see the people that were calling and the numbers of the, the newsletter subscriptions going up. So I knew it was working, but anything was better than nothing at the time. And so yeah. While yes, we couldn't convert on the day. I think that there were so many people that became loyal to the brand that day on following us, subscribing to us, and so on. Um, the moment that we got product in a few days after Valentine's Day, and we put out this like newsletter and, and social media message of "We're now back in stock until while supplies last." It just got eaten up so quickly again. So yeah. it was it was definitely you know a factor of all the support that we got from uh, the Kardashians and from all the influencers that were posting around. Uh, around Valentine's time of year. That's amazing and very smart to be capturing at least what you could during the moment with um, the newsletter sign up. Um, 
So, I mean, every brand out there, I think that's like a dream scenario, right? That some massive influencer is going to post randomly about your product and boom, this kind of traffic is, you know, drawn to your website. Um, how did that happen? Did you guys send them these flowers? Did you pay someone? Like, how did it get in their hands? And why did they post? Do you have any idea? Yeah. So, you know, we were doing a lot of work with influencers. Um, at the time, uh, Jen Atkin um, from, from Way was starting her company. She was doing a lot of these, uh, these sort of like, um, what are they, like tutorials, if you will, at Sephora and so on for, for how, she, how she sort of takes her approach to like the hair design and all that. Um, and so we knew she, she was working with a lot of the big celebrities out in LA. It wasn't a market that we had really tapped into. Um, and we, we partnered with her, uh, sent her some product, partnered with her on an event that she was doing out here. And, uh, and the Kardashians went to that event. Um, and I think they saw the product there. And so one of the assistants actually reached out and, and was talking to us about how they love the product and so on. Um, we mentioned we'd love to send it to them for Valentine's Day, which was coming up. Um, there was no paid placement, which is so crazy for us. And that's why we didn't really, we had, we were like, Hey, this is amazing that they love the product and so on. Um, but we didn't, we didn't have any idea or feeling that they would post. And so, um, you know, I think that's what like the whole surreal moment really was for us was that they did post and it, and it wasn't just one, it was a few of them. And, and I think the support that we had from them from that day and even moving forward, um, we've, we've maintained a great relationship with them. They've been super supportive. Um, you know, it's, it's just been amazing for us to be able to, to have that kind of support from people that are just so influential. It's like, you know, you're really supporting the dream of an entrepreneur. And, yeah. and you know, it's, it's like that feeling that you're just like, oh my God, like people are supporting me. They're supporting this business idea. And it's, it's like a, a dream really that just, that just comes true. So, yeah, that's awesome. So, you know, being a founder involves an incredible amount of persistence. Um, What's your why? What keeps you going? Do you have like a routine every morning? You know, what keeps you positive and going each day? Yeah, you know, we've uh, we we've grown the company to um, where we've continued to to invest into the departments, and I think I for what keeps me going is is seeing just sort of all the all of what we want in in terms of the outcome of of reach of the brand of the product of the the categories that we're expanding into. Um, and really evolving from this, you know, oh, this is a flower company of, of box flowers, evolving into a lifestyle brand where we now offer candles and other florals that last for a year or longer, um, apart from just roses. So I think development everywhere is what keeps me going. It keeps me um, really sort of like on my toes of like, what can we, what can we keep doing? How can we continue to grow? Like, like it's just, it's such a good feeling and it's an exciting feeling for me. So I think that keeps me going. Um, our team is super great as well. And so, you know, we've, we've got people that are just so dedicated that um, every day are, are giving it 100%, 200%, you know, and um, people that have been with us, as I mentioned, from the very beginning and, and have grown, maybe they're, maybe they didn't have the skill set to, to grow uh, into, into other parts of the business, but they've been able to have someone come in above them and really learn from that person. So that's really what keeps us going, um, you know, from like a routine perspective, for me, I, I still really oversee the uh, the supply chain operations side, um, along with marketing. And so, uh, you know, for me, it's a lot of touch base with the teams, making sure that things are lined up. Especially for us right now, you know, we're we're not only in in a pandemic, we're also uh, we're also planning for our holiday seasons that are coming up. And and so for us, it's a lot of just making sure everything is is perfectly set up or, or as perfect as we can be. Um, maintaining safety in our facilities is, is a top priority for us as well. 
um, you know, having to, to shift to social distancing and, and so on and um, all the new procedures, uh, just staying on top of that um, and checking in with our marketing teams as well. You know, that's, that's something for me that, that I spend a lot of time uh, doing as well. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just a lot of, a lot of moving pieces as, as sort of where my day is today and, and what my function is today. But um, I couldn't do it without the support of, of everyone in the company, both, uh, you know, my, my co-founder Seema um, with my brother, Nick, and, and with all the amazing people that we have on board. That's amazing. And I'm curious about your pricing strategy, because you guys are very much positioned as a luxury product. I mean, your products are, you know, $300, $400. That's really a lot of money for flowers. Obviously, these are different. They're eternity flowers. They last a lot longer. They're beautiful, etc. But, you know, how did you come up with these price points? And, you know, were you ever wondering, Will every will anyone ever buy flowers for this much money? Or did the money kind of, did you, you know, kind of slowly increase the cost of these flowers? Or like how did how did it work? Sure. So um, you know, for us, like with, with the attorney florals, um, you know, there's obviously a higher price behind them than than traditional long stem florals. Um, there's a lot that goes into it as well. So not only from the process the, the process side, but also logistics inbound. Um, for us, we have a full team of designers in-house. So uh, the way that everything sort of works is if you go onto our site and design a product and you, and you end up creating it, uh, our designers in-house will actually create that exactly to your specifications. Um, things undergo QC two to three times. Um, they get wrapped and packed into packaging that uh, is, is going to guarantee it's safe for transport. So, um, you know, it, for us, our damage rates are extremely, extremely low. And, and we pride ourselves in that because we do offer date-specific delivery, right? You're going to be celebrating a specific date, right? If you're someone's going to purchase something for their wife on their anniversary, they want it on that day. They don't want a package to arrive on that day that comes damaged. And they're like, oh, cool. I spent time on, on getting you this product on the day, but it, it came broken. Hey, Venus, can you send me a replacement? It, it ruins the experience. And it's like, I don't want it anymore, right? Because it, right. it ruins it. So for us, it's a lot of, of backend that goes into making sure that we have strong relationships to the vendors. We're making sure that our teams are on top of getting that date-specific delivery. Um, we're making sure that things arrive perfectly in transit to the consumer. Um, from a pricing standpoint, uh, you know, obviously a lot that goes into that is going to have the cost of, of sort of what I was just mentioning go into the you know what what it is, but also the 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 product itself. So a lot of the materials that go into it, the vessels that we use and so on, um, are also quite expensive. Like for example, our ceramic vessels are all handcrafted. So, um, you know, creating things like that obviously takes a lot of time and, and with time there's costs. So, um, for us, that's a lot of where the cost comes from. Um, and then, you know, for the product itself, it's, it's obviously a, a luxurious product. Um, we, we try to position it that way. And, and I think that, because of the product lasting for such a long time, the price does sound uh, kind of hefty in the beginning. Um, but when people purchase things like our mini, for example, right, a single rose that's $39, $44 for, for different colors, um, they're able to experience the product, experience sort of what the brand is and that it does last for a long time. And then they convert into some of the larger products for us. Um, I do think that people also realize that, you know, if you were to purchase a dozen roses for somebody every single week or every other week, the cost is actually more than purchasing a, an arrangement from Venus A. Fleur. So um, I think when, when people see that, they also start to realize like there is no maintenance, there is no water, um, but it's also beautifully packaged. So that maintenance aspect and element is out of the equation. 
Um, and so, you know, that's where, where a lot of it comes from, but also the, the larger the arrangement gets, the more obviously expensive they get, there's more time that goes into it. There's a lot more logistics that go into some of our larger products that um, have to undergo different courier uh, uh, shipping methods where there's a lot more attention to them so that there's no damage and so on. So a lot of that is really what goes into the pricing structure. That's really interesting. I was wondering about that because, you know, with flowers that die, you know, oh, got to buy some more, right? And it's like you get some for one holiday, they're going to definitely be dead by the time it's your like birthday or into the next thing. And it's it's constantly like a new reason to get some more flowers. Without that reason, if there's, um, well, I mean, I guess there's plenty of space in your home to be having multiple types of flowers. But I guess in my opinion, I'm like, there's one spot where we have flowers on the kitchen table. You know, <laughs> if that spot is taken, then, you know, we might not replace them for a really long time. So I'm just wondering how has retention kind of been with your business? Um, if the flowers last so long? Sure. You know, early on for us, we were just like, Oh, man, like, what's going to happen? If, mm -hmm. we're, if they last so long, or people are going to buy? Right. Um, and, and quickly, we learned that the retention rate is high. And so people that actually get the product, they experience it, they they want to purchase and send the, the product to other people as well. So someone that was a recipient in their in the first experience with BSA Flair turns into a, a customer of ours and purchases from others. Um, we've also spent a lot of time in product development. And so um, while, you know, sort of people understand us and view us as like the box florals and so on, we've also introduced other products like our Leclerc collection. So they're acrylic boxes that house florals, but they actually have a drawer in them. And so um, we've, we've educated customers on those types of products actually are being placed in, in, you know, bedside tables or in makeup areas or on office tables where they have a functional drawer in them. So you can actually store product in there. It's, it's funny because Sim and I, we would lose our Apple TV remote every other day. And so we have one on our dining or sorry, on our, on our coffee table. And that's where the, the Apple TV lives. Uh, so it's, it's just funny because you know, we, we started to introduce these new product categories to where we, we, we educated customers on where else you can utilize florals within your space and so on. Yeah, I noticed actually you have like much smaller sets that maybe you could put in your bathroom with a nice little candle. And there's really cool ways that you guys have developed and kind of incorporating florals in the house and other ways that you can't really when you just buy normal flowers. That's pretty awesome. Um, what's something you wish you would have known before you started your business? What I would wish I knew. Um, so I, I think probably how all the aspects of the business are intertwined. Um, you know, I think for us being an e-com brand, uh, you, you, the hope is, oh, I want to crush it with sales. But what you don't think about is how do you handle it from the operations side? How do you handle it from the staff planning? You can, you can plan for demand and you can buy inventory, but you also have to make sure that you have enough people that can package and design and so on. Um, and then also customer service. How does, if you don't have all of the right tracking, uh, you know, uh, platforms as we do today, customers going to want to know where product is. So how are you going to inform them and keep them up to date on exactly where the product is? So there's, there's a customer service. So as you grow all the, all the sides of the business grow, and it's important for people to remember all those other parts of the business as well. Um, I think also, you know, probably the, uh, the, one of the biggest things for us is Valentine's falls for us in, in February, obviously. And so in the East coast, that tends to be the, the part of the year where winter starts taking a toll with snow. And so, um, in 2017, we ended up having a snowstorm that hit the week of Valentine's day. 
And it, it threw everything off for us because we had all these packages that were in our warehouse that were going out to customers um, where we, we literally had to go back and relabel every single package um, because it had to have a faster delivery date or a faster shipping service. Because if it had gone out by ground, it wouldn't have delivered on the 14th. It would have delivered after. So we had to change all of that and upgrade the service, which obviously has a cost and so on. Um, and so for us, you know, after that, we actually have a, a weather tracking initiative, part of all of our peak times, where now that we have a facility in LA, we have one in New York, and we have one in London, uh, the, the domestic ones are where we really focus on, okay, during Valentine's Day, if there is weather, uh, you know, up north, let's just say northeast in, in the Boston area, um, and it's coming down to New Jersey, New Jersey may be impacted and can't get product out. So let's ship some more of that load to California where there's an increased shipping speed because there's going to be a cost. But at the end of the day, we wanted to make sure that we service the customers so that they get their packages versus getting it late. Um, and so for us, you know, some of those things were, were really hard lessons because there were a lot of, of missed sales, a lot of re refunded sales as well uh, in 2017. Um, so we, we learned from those mistakes. We, we learned from those experiences and turn them into positives now. So what advice do you have for any couples out there that might be looking to start a business together? Do you recommend it or what are the pros and cons and what works? What doesn't? Yeah. You know, I think, I think business really drew Seema and I together, even stronger, even faster. Um, I think it was, it, I, I said it earlier, I don't think I would have done it any other way. And I'm blessed that it turned out as it did. There's obviously going to be a lot of challenges for us. We both are are driven uh, at the same sort of level, if you will. We're both hungry and we have a lot of desire for for the business, um, but we're very different in our day to day. So while I handle operations, supply chain, uh, marketing from the acquisition side and retention side, Seema handles social media. So she's growing the social pages. She handles the creative teams. She also oversees the PD team. So they're very different parts of the business and it was very clear from the beginning. It was like, hey, look, whatever you say in the PD world, or the social world, or the brand world goes, I'm going to support it 100%, right? Unless it's something extremely crazy and radical, right? It's like, hey, you own that side, you run with it. Um, and the same for me on, on what I oversee. And I think that was very clear from the beginning. And so there was never like this issue of us butting heads or anything like that. It was, it was more so trust. It was like, if you tell me that you're confident behind it, I support you 100%. And no matter what happens, I, I, I signed off. on it. So I think it's very important for couples out there that are looking to get into business together to make sure from the beginning that you have that alignment and understanding. You want to move quickly. So a lot of people might just be like, hey, we'll figure it out as we go. But then as you go and those things become pain problems, um, it can also negatively impact the business, but more so even the personal relationship. So it's very, very important to have those sort of ground rules, if you will, lined out in the beginning. Ground rules, you mean to kind of have balance between work and personal, right? Because if off, you know, if you're working together every day, it's so hard, it's got to be so hard to not take that home and talk about work all the time, right? And so then the romance maybe falls to the wayside, or like other things can go at risk because of the constant conversation or, you know, things that are going on with business um, that you may enjoy, but obviously, like, there's other things that uh, you know, in a personal relationship are needed. So how do you find that balance? Yeah, you know, uh, because Steve and I have such a similar upbringing, we saw how family business when you're working with the family also comes back to the house. So when you're at home on a Sunday, 
you're, you find yourself not, not watching a football game. You find yourself talking about business with everybody. So um, for us, it was very clear in the beginning. It was like, look, if, if there is something that's pressing that comes up, okay, we handle it. But otherwise, we have our personal time away from business. Um, and so, you know, that's, that was very clear in the beginning for both of us. It was something that both of us really wanted and, and highlighted as we need to have that work personal life balance, um, which is very, very important for sure. Um, and, and I always recommend that. I think it's super important to make sure that there is that balance there, because if not, you know, things, things don't feel the same. It's not, it doesn't feel as good anymore. So we want to make sure there's definitely a balance there. Absolutely. So how big is your team now? Uh, so right now we have a team, uh, about 70 people full time. Uh, and then we, during our peak time scale up to somewhere around 200, um, once we hit our, our holiday seasons with our, our warehouse staff. Amazing. And what's the biggest thing you've learned about becoming a leader, you know, kind of growing from founder to CEO and, and managing and running a business with that many people? Yeah, I think staying very, uh, in line and in contact with staff is super important. I think once you grow a business and, and it's getting larger and larger, you find yourself not having touch with, you know, people like in our business, the designers, right? Um, seeing them every day when I'm in the, in our warehouses, in our facilities to not seeing them because I'm spending most of my days with the marketing teams and the PD teams or, or whoever it is. I think for, for us, that's, that's something that I understood. And I was like, Hey, I need to continue to have that relationship with all of our staff. Um, so I think it's very important to, to make sure that there's contact with everybody. Um, I also think that trust as you grow a company is very important. Um, you know, that for, for a business like ours, right, it's our baby, it's, it's our pride and joy, we love it. But you know that you can't handle every single part of the business as you grow it, there's only so much you can do in a day. So you really have to make sure that you're hiring people that you trust, that have the right vision that that believe in the same things that you do, um, that you can that you can really say, hey, like you own this part. And, and I really I'm standing behind you to, to perform. So I think team building and, and really understanding who those those people are is super important. Um, and then from like leading perspective, it's, it's really just having a mindset, uh, for our business. That's, that's really heavy during our, our Valentine's and Mother's Day and holiday seasons, having a, a mindset that tells everybody that if you put your mind to it, you can do it. You know, there's going to be long work hours. You're going to be tired. There's going to be a lot of ups and downs, but everybody that's working together is going to get through it together. And, and, you know, I think keeping that mindset is so important really walking around the floors for me on, on our holiday times and, and keeping that morale up and telling people how amazing of a job they're doing. Um, you know, a, a celebrity posts on Instagram and I, I walk over to a designer that I can, that I know created it and say, Hey, look, like, thank you so much for, for the job that you do for us, but take a look at how many millions of people just saw this photo that this celebrity posted. And there are people that maybe they don't use social media and they see, it and they're like, Oh my God, there's a hundred thousand likes on that photo. That's insane. And they just feel joy in that something that they're touching in the business is turning into something so much greater and so much bigger. Um, and I think that's just really important is, is keeping that boost there and keeping the support for everybody in the business. That's interesting. So you kind of make it a point to really bring these things to light so that your team can be recognized. Yeah, for sure. I think that it's, it's really important for, for us to do things like that so that everyone knows that their hard work is is not only being recognized in the company, but they're a part of, of a moment, a special moment that somebody just celebrated or had. So. Absolutely. 
Well, before we wrap up here, what um, final advice do you have for aspiring entrepreneurs or business operators out there? Um, what advice do you have? You've already provided such great insights and um, you know, awesome advice, but anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, I think you know, it's, it's really just it, writing things down is very important too. I think that um, as, as something continues to mature, uh, sort of the vision might get changed over time. So really writing things down and having a goal. Um, SEMA has been one of the biggest drivers for me to actually learn to write things down, to set goals that aren't just in your head, but on paper, um, to have a vision board, both for personal and for business. You know, cut out photos from magazines of what do you want your warehouse to look like? You, have, you see a photo of, of a brand out there that's got a massive warehouse and everybody that's that's uh, you know wearing uniforms or or like taking joy and just like being a part of a team like take those things and put those up and set the vision to that. So I think there's there's so much uh, so much value in doing that. Um, I think also just networking in today's day and age is so important, right? There's so many people out there that that if you you talk about ideas, you talk about business that that can help you out with either advice or potentially getting involved with somebody that may be able to work with you in a collaboration is is really important too. Um, really just, you know, for us, it's about being around good people. Um, and that's the advice I always give to people is, you know, you may not have the smartest possible person working for you in a business that you just started, but as long as they're very hardworking, they're, they're willing to, to give it their all. Um, that's, what's really valuable. Um, and one last thing that I think is, is important is, you know, you don't want a mistake to impact the business in any way that's going to be so like monetarily damaging, um, but it's very important for staff to make mistakes, I think. So for me, early on, letting somebody, even though I know it's going to turn into maybe a $100, or $200 mistake, letting someone make a mistake and before a product goes out the door or, or, or whatever it is, just meet with them and say, hey, look, before this product left, just so you know, like that could have been a $100 mistake. And, and this is why. And they go back and they fix something. They really see versus you just telling them how to how to do their job like a, like a robot all day. They feel I feel like the staff actually feel the sense of like, hey, you know, I'm learning more by having this person oversee me, and they they allow me to make a small mistake, and it goes so much further because they're like, wow, that was that was a mistake that cost a little bit of money. I'm gonna make sure I, I give their I give more attention to this part of the business. So I think that's that's important as well. Um, but you know, just all around having people that that if you have a business idea, putting that goal out there, setting those goals, trying to continue to work hard and, and blow through those those goals every day is, is so important and, and so valuable. And and just seeing the whole journey at the end of it is just as amazing as being in the in the moment at the time. So that's that's something that I'd I'd say to everybody is I wish I had documented more of the early years at, at being a safe but um, you know, something that I look back at is, is some of the photos and moments that you have are just so beautiful. So that's something that I'd say is, is not just to, to hope to get to the, the goal and then look back at the journey, you know, also embrace it as you're going, going through the journey. Right. Try to enjoy the process. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned vision boards. Um, do you still make vision boards today? And if so, and when did you start them? Did you start them early on in the beginning? Did you kind of have you have some of your vision boards come true? Yeah, so it, it's amazing because when I first had uh, had had heard about like the whole concept of doing the vision boards and stuff, Seema had been doing them every single year. So she does every year. 
uh, just after Christmas and, and looks into, okay, how, let's look back at this year and let's put the vision for next year. And so she had been doing that for so long. And, and I was just like, eh, does it even really work? And it's amazing because you start to unlock not only your thoughts, but you're actually, you're looking at those things. Now you're setting those goals and you're seeing those things that you really want to aspire to. Um, and so for us, our, our, my first vision board was in, in 2016, it was the end of 2016 going into 17. Um, and a lot of those things at the end of the year, they turn out to, to coming true. And so, uh, I, I really encourage it. You know, I think at first it was just like, oh, this is not going to work kind of. And then after you're like, wow. And I've recommended it to even friends. I'm like, Hey man, just do one. And in a year from now, you'll look back at it and be like, wow, like some of those things came true. Even if you have a hundred photos on this board, a few of them will come true. And it's really just like that. Okay. Wow. I, I put it out there. I manifested it and it came true. And that's, it's so important to do that. Yeah, it is. Do you just use magazines or do you also like print stuff from online or like, how do you source the images? Yeah, I think uh, for us, we, we've stuck to magazines. So we pop into Barnes and Nobles or wherever and actually physically purchase the magazines, have to go through that process of why are we selecting that magazine? Is it an art and design? Why is it an art and design? Is it because we have a vision of, of a house or are we, you know, we have a vision of traveling to a certain country. So are we finding ourselves purchasing a magazine because of that? sort of where the intent starts from and, and where the vision started from. Um, but it just being such like a hard process of physically picking up the magazine and doing it versus being like, Hey, you know what the vision is, uh, is Amazon's office one day, I'm going to Google Amazon office, I'm going to print it and cut it out. It's more of like this process where I'm vetting all the different things in the magazine of why something is a pass for me or why something stood out to me. So very cool. Very, very cool. I like vision boards. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate your time and sharing your story. It's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review, and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.